Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. So Kaylee, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Jeff Schiller, who is the Global Executive Vice President of Commercial and Sales Strategy at Vice Media Group. So there's been a lot written about you know Vice over the past well couple of years, kind of the, are they going to sell? Who are they going to sell to? Are they going to public? Are they not going to go public? What did Jeff have to say about how Vice's business is doing at the moment? Yeah, so Jeff just recently joined uh, Vice. I think it was like his 90-day anniversary or something close to it. Um started back in the fall. So this is a newer position for him, but um, I did ask him about the Wall Street Journal's report from December, which had uh, Vice missing its revenue target by about $100 million this year. Um, And Jeff sounded quite optimistic about what 2023 has in store. I mean, obviously, he's not going to you know, be disparaging towards his new company um, so publicly. But he did say that there were areas of the business that he is very eager to grow and focus on um, in the coming year, despite having missed revenue goals this year. So some of those areas are around video. Obviously, Vice has a very strong background in video, but digital and social media um, video is the, sounds like one of the top goals of focus, um, both for editorial purposes, uh, but also for advertising. We talk about their Twitch ambitions, and we also talk about um, vertical video holistically and how that's kind of factoring into their um, 2023 output plans. Um, So yeah, lots been written about the future of Vice, but from Jeff's perspective, it seems to be very rooted in leaning into video. And so with that, it sounds like then Twitch and I guess like TikTok, YouTube shorts are like the areas where he's expecting to see the most growth, which I guess like sure probably see like growth there because I mean, TikTok and YouTube shorts, for example, like YouTube shorts is just rolling out a rough share program this year. TikTok's like launched theirs last year, but like really the invites really started to go out towards the end of last year and then you know twitch as you reported like vice is you know just starting to monetize on twitch so another low base but it seems like all of those like how much money are they actually expecting to bring in because like with uh, tiktok and youtube shorts no one has any idea how much money that you know they actually stand to make there i mean (laughs) i'm talking with tiktok creators lately and they're just like is anyone making money from pulse yet so like how much revenue does jeff actually expect video to bring in yeah i mean it's a good question right because like with their larger more highly produced shows and other programming like the overhead on that is pretty intense and you can argue that social video has lower overhead around it to a degree. It depends on how you do it. But um, he seems optimistic that there is revenue opportunity. So yeah, in in the Twitch um, conversation, they're just starting to monetize that platform this year. They announced at CES um, this year. So that really runs the gamut from, I mean, what they're pricing it at is like, you know, 
lower kind of more manageable couple thousand dollar deals to upwards of multi-million dollar deals. Like they're really broad about how they're pricing their video products. Um, and I think it really depends on whether or not their audience shows up um, on those platforms and especially Twitch if they have the numbers to show and that platform has been struggling a little bit. So it's, again, he seems very optimistic about the future of social video. Um, we obviously talk about other areas of the business as well, including commerce and how commerce and consumer revenue streams will uh, dovetail with advertising in the coming year. But, um, you know, I think it's likely going to be another maybe not miss the mark year for Vice next year, but I I, I don't know. I, my impression is that it's not going to be a rapid growth year either. So we will see. I think there's a lot to follow in the digital video conversation. But um, yeah, I'll let Jeff kind of share his thoughts a little bit more thoroughly in this conversation. Yeah, I'm eager to hear it all. So all right, I'll let you take it away. Thanks, Kayla. Thanks, Tim. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Kelly? I'm good. I was just looking it up. It's been almost exactly two years since I talked to you last on the podcast. But at that point, you were with Group 9. So a lot has changed in those couple of years. Um, also hard to believe it's been like two years. Um, but yeah, so you're now at Vice Media. And I am very excited to talk about your role at Vice and you know, all the fun things like the economy and advertising, all that jazz. But before that, I do want to ask, because you started at Vice in September. I think you just mentioned it's 90 days around the time that we're recording. And we're recording this in December for those who are at home listening in January. But um, I wanted to ask, what appealed to you about joining Vice? Absolutely. Happy to answer. Happy to be here. My goal is to be like the Steve Martin of the Digiday podcast and get like the the jacket for being on five times. So we're halfway mm -hmm. there. Um, let's not let it be two years uh, the next go around uh, for sure. And then uh, we can celebrate that glorious moment when I hit five. Uh, but in all seriousness, Sounds good. Um, Vice has, has long stood out as a brand of, that has transcended. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're, we, we exist in a space of publishing um, entities, uh, but Vice is not just a publishing entity. It's an actual brand. It's, it, the logo is highly recognizable. It stands for something. Um, just like the millions and millions of consumers globally that are attracted to the Vice brand, I have always been a fan, a follower, a consumer. That was obviously a big draw. Um, there were separate from that though, the really sort of most significant reason is the fact that Vice is one of the most creative companies in the world. It's where youth culture happens today. And as someone that really over the course of my career has been drawn to centers of excellence around creativity um, Vice is at the top. Vice is at the apex of that. Um, Vice uniquely threads together a vast mosaic of passions that define youth culture. So it's the most interesting place to be. It's the most interesting place for me to be. Um, and it's definitely, again, from a 
uh, sort of compelling reasons to join Vice at the top of the list. Definitely, I'm sure, a fun and interesting company to work for. Also, I'm guessing pretty challenging in this current economy. I feel like any media company is dealing with a lot. Um, I know Vice has had a little bit of a magnifying glass on it the past couple uh, months as it pursues a sale of itself. But I am curious, um, you know, before we dig into all the fun things around the economy and, and that whole conversation, which I know can be exhausting to talk about, but definitely what everyone's thinking about. Um, I'm curious, like, what your role encompasses currently, um, because I think in a lot of conversations with revenue chiefs, there's some who recently took on, um, you know, consumer revenue lines under their purview in the past year. Others are still squarely kind of centered around advertising. Curious what your um, role as CRO kind of encompasses and what, uh, which areas of the businesses you're directly responsible for. Absolutely. Uh, my remit is focused on the commercial business. There are um, a variety of different lines of business at Vice Media Group. Um, for the purposes of this conversation, uh, my purview is really what you would call digital publishing. And so through that lens, overseeing the commercial business of digital publishing, that includes our sales team, our uh, account management team, our post-sale production team, our experiential team, uh, the team that focuses on um, what we call Brand marketing, which is you know the 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 identity of our brands B two B and liaising with editorial to create programming and franchises, etc. Um, and our revenue ops team, you know, so everything from our uh, tech stack um, and and our programmatic business to the types of reporting and metrics that determine what success means. So. Um, pretty expansive, but at the end of the day, um, it's really about the simple fact or, or, of who Vice is, why we're at the heart of youth culture, and then telling that story to our brand partners. So, you know, that's really the essence of the job, but the departments, um, all of that stuff is like the day to day. But, you know, the core of it is really storytelling. I guess being fully immersed in advertising, though, I know your your background is very, you know, well-versed in that area of media, but it seems like it could be a little bit of a baptism by fire in the past quarter when you joined Vice. Given the state of the economy and the state of what we've reported around advertising and media and, uh, you know, advertising holistically. Um, so not to press on kind of a sore subject at the beginning of the conversation, but I did want to address the Wall Street Journal's report from earlier this week. Again, we're recording this in December. So for our listeners, it's been a couple of weeks, but um, it reported that the company was expected to miss its revenue goal by about a hundred million this year, um, making it level with 2021's revenue of about 600 million. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, I mean, Again, the economy is not doing great right now. It's been well reported that advertising is struggling um, in various degrees. But I am curious what your perspective is going into 2023 about the state of advertising and how you feel like you're able to kind of mitigate further losses or, uh, you know, any other challenges to advertising revenue specifically in the coming year. 
Also curious if your outlook for 2023 is as grim as some others have been. Um, I think the common camp that I hear is the first six months of 2023 are going to be tough. And then there's optimism around the back half of next year. But yeah, so what's your kind of outlook look like? And then we can kind of dig into more strategy questions. But what's your outlook for 2023? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, let me say that all the reasons that I mentioned that drew me into Vice are very commonplace for the industry. It's Vice is a very interesting place to be, to write about. And so there's always endless speculation. Uh, and, um, you know, if you follow the narrative, uh, Vice has been for sale for 13 years. Um, all I can do is focus on our core strategy, which is growing the company, diversifying and broadening the business. And that's exactly what we've done this year. And we're incredibly well positioned for 23. And we can absolutely go into not only what I think 23 will look like on a macro lens, but also specifically for Vice. Yeah. So let's start with that macro lens then. I'm curious how um, how you feel like 2023 will un- unravel from a macroeconomic standpoint. So I think it's a tale of a thousand uh, sort of different points of view. Um, if you ask one industry sector, it's all roses. If you ask another, it's a bloodbath. Um, really what that means is it's uncertainty. And that to me, it's less about a downturn, a recession, a slowdown um, in the first half. It's more uncertainty. Um, there, there's industry speculation every day from bankers that Q1 is going to be soft. Then it's uh, a, 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 a number comes out, whether it's the jobs report, uh, consumer confidence index, whatever sort of federal number comes out beats estimates and the stock market pops. So I, I think the, the sort of prevailing sentiment is uncertainty. That said, as a revenue leader, the way that our commercial team is, folk, is sort of thinking about it is even when budgets are challenged, right, there is always an opportunity to increase market share. And I think uh, this might have actually been something that Travis mentioned on the podcast, um, and I wholeheartedly agree with it. If, let's say, talking obviously in small dollars, there's $10 of total budget and they decrease it to 9 but your share was $2, there's still tremendous upside growth. You can grow 400% and have a banner year. And so I think on the whole, our approach as an organization will be to increase market share where we see challenge sectors and to drive new business in areas that we think were maybe um, not as um on the radar on. And, and so, you know, that can sort of bleed into what is our strategy for 23? Where are we showing up? How are we increasing our presence? Uh, but generally, I'm cautiously optimistic um, because, you know, I'm certainly not an economist, but I do think that there are a ton of conflicting signs um, and they tend to get more conflicting by the day. It kind of sounds like um, what a few other revenue chiefs and other media execs I've spoken with um, in the past few months have said, where it's kind of targeting fewer but larger 
partnerships. And I think um, in Q4, and I'm curious about your perspective of this too, in Q4 2022, there was a lot of emphasis on programmatic deals and social media deals because they were very easy to execute and um, spend those dollars when advertisers were at the point of just kind of wanting to get rid of the rest of their budgets for the year. Um, but that kind of opened the door for the conversations around larger partnerships to come into play in Q1. Um, I'm curious kind of if you could explain a little bit more about you know, the opportunities you're seeing with maybe larger partnerships and um, what those might look like for you if you're seeing that opportunity in the new year or if it's still a little bit kind of week-by-week planning, month-by-month planning with certain advertisers because, you know, the economy is the economy. Budgets are still, I'm sure, down. Yeah, look, I think that there's not one silver bullet answer, but I can tell you that for those clients that have worked with us, uh, they are increasing their spend. We are still uh, forging upfront deals. Uh, but I would also say that for us, uh, Q4 was probably a little bit different because it was less about sort of seamless um, transactional media. Uh, we actually have just come off of our first year in partnership with Art Basel in Miami and that involved IRL, it involved social, it involved uh, a lot of um, certainly not no touch or heavy touch, but light touch custom, as you might call it. And so I would think, you know, for us, uh, that's a good sign because to your point, uh, for some folks that are really dependent on branded content, uh, and see that effect, it's real. Uh, you know, clients will say, we only want to focus on what's easy. We have our assets. We want to push that out. Part of, again, what drew me to Vice, part of being that creative fire, uh, part of having that creative firepower is that we're usually the first call. Um, you know, one of the things that I was incredibly excited about in coming on board was that at Can Lions, Vice uh, was the second most awarded brand. And that's brand, not publisher. So you're talking Burger King, who I believe was number one, Apple, you know, world-renowned brands. And so, um, again, when you think about the concept of increasing market share, uh, I think Basel and activating there, we had uh, three partners across the Vice Media Group, Landscape, Cash App, Expedia, and then with uh, ID specifically, our global luxury beauty fashion brand, Mark Jacobs, um, all activated during a time when if you read the trades, it would lead you down a path of it's all programmatic. So I think we are incredibly well positioned, not just in 23, because we're that first phone call for like amazing storytelling, authentic, bold storytelling um, and, and I think it's going to be, um, that's going to continue. So, um, anyways, little bit of a long winded response, but I do think, um, you know, the, the sort of differences between publishers and reasons for the, how they're faring certainly are unique. 
Um, so, you know, I'm giving you the, the, the perspective of Vice. With experiential, though, like how much of those partnerships around Art Basel were, you know, planned six plus months in advance? Because I know some experiential budgets get spent, you know, quarters ahead of time. Um, I mean, I guess, does that factor into kind of what you're seeing for next year, too, with events that you're bringing about? Um how much of that is really just kind of getting in early? You mentioned Vice is the first call, but I'm sure those calls happen well in advance of the actual execution. Of course, yeah. With it, with experiential, there is obviously lead time. I would say this was definitely um, a lot um, more condensed. You know, in a perfect world, we're always six months out. That wasn't the case here um, because we were working with Art Basel, where we were working with a, a, a space, a physical space, um, you know, it was something that we actually were in market with uh, a little bit later than usual. So I do think it's a good bellwether for the fact that close to in-quarter activations are still um, top of mind for clients. And, um, you know, again, I think that unique marketplace differentiation of if we want to do something big, if we want to drive earned media, if we want it to be grounded in award-winning creative, they're going to work with Vice. Um, that's, that, that really is, is compelling. So um, I think that as we go into next year, of course, we're going to try to be as um, sort of strategic as we can in terms of advanced selling. Um, but separate of all of that, our franchises uh, are are an incredible asset to us. And part of having franchises is being able to, to sort of draw folks in early on because it's predictable. Um, so I think all those factors uh, will be really, really um, positive for us. Separate from that, I also think like, you know, and this is not, this is not different from how I usually run businesses, whether it was Pop Sugar or Group 9, but you have more mature businesses, and so that's Refinery and Vice, and then you have um, high-growth businesses, Unbothered, ID, Vice News, all of which were up um, significantly year over year. So you kind of can calibrate and say, okay, you're going to focus a little bit more here or a little bit more there, or we're going to plan to launch new IP with X brand um, versus Y. And, and it's, it gives you optionality. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back. Digging in further into your strategy for 2023, I'm curious, and again, coming into a new role too, I'm sure there's some degree of changing up strategy to kind of match what you think works best on a sales team. I'm curious, kind of from an operational standpoint, how you're approaching this year um, on the sales side of things. And I think mainly because a, a lot of publishers I've spoken with have switched from, you know, brand-specific selling to more categorical selling. I'm curious what your approach is from an operational standpoint on the sales side. And if you're changing anything to kind of match, you know, the state of the industry, the state of the economy as well. Absolutely. So I think strategically, um, first and foremost, it's being as uh, future leaning as possible. And so I just mentioned it a second ago, but really aligning 
with our editorial team to plan six months out. So um, I can only speak to my approach to uh, running, um, you know, sales and marketing organizations. And I'll say it always starts with we need to be in market early and often. And that requires collaboration across all of the units um, that make up the business. Um, outside of, of planning early and often from a strategy lens, the second piece to that is leaning into IP. And uh, I think it's very alluring, especially for um, the larger digital publishing business to just be bespoke 100% of the time. Because, you know, it's like, hey, we get an RFP. That RFP looks for new and never been done. And it's constantly, you know, let's just create something new and never been done before. And uh, which is impossible because most things have been done. <laughs> uh, so through that lens, you know, we're really looking at the amplification of our IP. Some of that will be through events. Year two of the glow up. The glow up was our 3000 person uh live event festival weekend in Atlanta this past June, 3,000 young black uh, men and women um, and non-binary folks talking about what the unbothered community means to them, having moments of joy, learning. Uh, so we'll have year two of that later this year. Um, we, by the time everyone listens to this podcast, uh, we will have launched at CES a, an official partnership with Twitch uh, on the back of Refinery29's Good Game franchise. Um, and Good Game is, and pardon the uh, dad joke pun, but the only game in town um, covering the non-male gaming space. And uh, it's a live stream on Twitch. It's fast-growing. Um, Melissa Yang will actually be streaming live at on the expo floor at CES. And so we'll... Uh, not only are we streaming on Twitch, but now we'll have a formal go-to-market um, with Twitch. Um, and and I think separate from that, we're going to be looking at beloved IP like Refinery29 Money Diaries. Um, what's really cool about our IP is they are, again, real communities. Like there's an actual Reddit channel for Money Diaries. I don't know of any other, I would call it like sub-franchise within the public publishing ecosystem that actually has its own Reddit channel. So um, we're going to be amplifying that through um, live events, podcasts. So leaning heavily into IP is, is, is another huge pillar. And then lastly, as far as like sort of organizational design, right now we are vertically aligned. So we have our beauty pod, our fashion pod, our, uh, our liquor spirits pod, um, absolutely going to continue to go down that path. Uh, so the actual nuts and bolts won't change, but our goal on the post-sale side is to deliver white glove service, to create efficiencies, to make it as easy as possible for us to work with our partners. And so that's where our focus has been over the last few months. That's where we've been really consistently asking the question, is our process making our clients' lives harder or easier? And if it's easier, you double down. If it's harder, you deprecate or revise. So that's the last piece. All right. So you mentioned the Twitch uh, 
partnership and kind of your your focus on that platform. Um, we had Katie Drummond um, speak at DPS this past September about the role that Vice News is playing on Twitch and how that was um, a platform they were still learning on from like a programming standpoint. And she said at the time that there weren't intentions to monetize that platform because they were still building an audience. It's still kind of learning um, how it how it works, really, to even have an audience there to sell, I guess. But um, that's specifically Vice News, right? So I'm curious, um, with the expansion of Twitch and kind of your monetizing that platform now, um, I'm curious how you kind of identify that there's an audience there and that it's a growth area too for you guys, because I feel like it's, and maybe this is a question more from like a brand perspective, but it seems like it could be very brand unsafe um, given, you know, the complications around bullying and racism and sexism and, you know, all those things. Um, how are you approaching Twitch in a way that's one brand safe, but two kind of matches the audience that you've been able to grow there? So, this is like my favorite question of the podcast thus far because it perfectly tees up why Refinery29 exists. As a brand and a community, it has long stood for shining a light on underrepresented voices, um, providing a home for underrepresented voices, and forging a path forward for uh, larger awareness uh, from an allyship lens. And so uh, Refinery, ha as a champion of that, and Good Game as a reflection of that, given the historical um, misogynistic behavior of men against women and non-binary folks um, within the gaming space, it's, it's, it's kind of like this moment to say, Good game exists for all of those reasons to be a, a safe place to um, to say that there there's millions of non male gamers out there and um, so I think first and foremost all the sort of negatives if you will um, refinery stands out as being the positive within the space secondly from a practical perspective as far as brand safety goes. Um, it's a one-hour show. It's editorial in nature. Melissa Yang, who is our entertainment and culture director at Refinery29, is the host. And that same best-in-class brand-safe editorial, whether it's through video or written, um, is demonstrated during the weekly show on Twitch. So from a Twitch lens, it's attractive to partner with Refinery to help promote the notion of, hey, brand X, Y, and Z, uh, you can partner with Twitch and Refinery, and you know you're going to be in a brand-safe environment. Uh, you know it's going to stand for something because Refinery has long stood for something, and it's it's unique. Um, it also is uh, part of the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion specific to the gaming industry, um, which is important. And then lastly, as far as you know, when you think about the why Twitch and why invest and why it's it's fertile ground, it's interactive. Uh, it's live. You can actually see on the ticker how the community is interacting. And we've and the way that we know it's successful is we've seen 
brands, beauty brands, fashion brands interact live on the show through the ticker and communicate. Uh, so that plus the streaming numbers um, all sort of add up to for refinery. It's an area um, that really, as I mentioned at the top of our discussion, threads across multiple passion points. So gaming has a strong intersection against fashion and beauty. You saw you saw that at TwitchCon. Um, it's not just about the platforms, the consoles. Uh, it's about um, the intersection that gaming has. Um, so I think it's it's a win win um, with Vice News, which is again wholly separate. The being the first brand on Twitch, news brand on Twitch matters because Vice was one of the first sort of um, post legacy brands to exist. It's also uh, the most trusted news brand for young people. And so we want to be on platforms that uh, young people consume, like Twitch. So um, I think that is more of a, uh, to Katie's point, sort of uh, slow burn, uh, whereas good game is something that, you know, exists more in the, the fun, joyful sort of uh, part of the spectrum. What's the audience that you're seeing like on an average stream or episode if it's called episode? Yeah, um we're we're seeing over 15,000 streams I think um at the top of when this launched in January and we've seen considerable uh month over month growth. I can definitely get back to you on the exact percentage. I have so many percentages in my brain, but um those first few months we were sort of averaging around 15,000 um and we feel really good about that. The, 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 literally, the franchise just launched this year. So, uh, and it's on it. To your point, it's on a um, a uh, a platform where metrics and sort of compare contrast isn't necessarily as mature. Um, so we feel really, really good about it. Um, Twitch is also for Vice News um, growing really, really fast as well. I'm curious if you've already been able to sell sponsorships against those programs, um, the Twitch stream specifically, for next year for this franchise? Not yet, uh, only because we are launching it at uh, at CES. Um, we felt like it's uh, very apropos to launch at, you know, at CES, given the intersection of tech and gaming. Um, so by the time everybody hears this, it will be launched and certainly find me on LinkedIn or anywhere else, but uh, we will be in market fast and furiously. Um, separate from that though, Good Game has had uh, partners separate from uh, this official strategic alliance with Twitch um, upon launch. So um, we have monetized the concept, uh, but as we launch uh, with with more formal uh, ties to Twitch, it, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you in the, in the coming weeks. I, I do think it's interesting. And I want to talk about your kind of approach to social in your advertising strategy and, and campaigns as well. It is interesting given how Vice has a history of creating, you know, shows and other like high quality programming that's been on streaming and has, um, you know, you've had millions of people watch programming on other channels. How, emerging platform like Twitch with well several thousand, but you know, still comparatively, like it's a smaller audience. I'm curious what revenue upshots are for social video given your guys's, you know, 
history with, again, very, you know, highly produced programming that's, you know, been sold for IP and had, you know, other advertising revenue kind of against it. What's the, what's your approach to social video, whether it's Twitch or even like short form vertical video? Because I know that that's kind of a big area um, of focus for next year. But how do the two kind of compare? Like, what's the advertising strategy behind it? What are the you know, upshots you're seeing from content that I think generally speaking on a lower production quality level, but for the benefit of the platforms it's going on, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think a couple things, but to take a quick step back, you know, um, news though, you know, we're again, we're sort of growing it. We're seeing hundreds of thousands of, of viewers. Um, so uh, I think, you know, again, niche communities, hold just as much value as sort of mass, um, as, as has been proven largely in the, the space. Um, I would definitely view the gaming, um, the non-male gaming space is a little bit more niche. So it's, it's harder to sort of compare and contrast, but when you do to more of a mass play, we're seeing hundreds of thousands of views on, um, vice news on Twitch. So to your question, as far as social video, um, look, I think the good news for a company like vice is that, we have this amazing uh, flywheel and across publishing, news, linear, studios, social, we're able to really take IP and have it be expressed in different formats um, to different audiences, all with a lens on super serving today's youth. So, when we look at social, I am a firm believer, and I've long been a firm believer, that you can produce high-quality, low-cost uh, content, and that doesn't come at the expense of production quality that our audience is used to. Is it mutually exclusive? Are we saying that one can only exist? It's not like, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, there's, you know, one ring to rule them all. I really don't believe that. It's it's definitely a balance. Uh, we will continue to produce those docu-series, um, those longer form, um, but depending on the category, depending on the channel, depending on our brand, um, we'll tell the right story to the right audience in the right time. And so um, a good example is ID. ID is one of the most influential global luxury fashion brands. It's the youngest uh, it's the most engaged, uh, and it lives primarily on social, uh, and not on, you know, on a linear cable channel and not on a dot com, even though we have a, a decent dot com following. It's really social first. Uh, and so, um, that doesn't prevent us from having global reach, global influence. Um, whenever you see the young influentials on our channels, they're all flocking to the brand and, and saying hi to the brand. And it's like, you know, the Hadids, Haley Bieber, uh, Zendaya. It's all the folks that are driving culture today. Uh, so I think it's it's not necessarily about putting our brands in one box or putting formats in one box. Um, we really can be nimble and adaptive. Uh, and it really depends on the brands that are stable. So um, you'll see a lot more social video, but it'll, again, it'll be specific to 
to different categories. Um, you know, obviously the, one of the hallmarks of Vice News is the docu-series. Um, and again, to go back to the why Vice, you know, just those moments of disruption in culture, like the Charlottesville documentary that like stuck in everyone's mind, um, you know, all of those moments, the search for QAnon, like these are things that Vice News has global recognition for. And so um, the investment there will continue, uh, but in, in areas where it makes sense to double down or triple down on social, that's where we'll we'll see those um, proliferate. And I think to continue the social video conversation for just a second, one of the areas that um, is kind of up in the air is really the ability to earn indirect revenue. Um, so more of that, like, you know, pre or mid roll um, ads on these emerging platforms, I guess you could call it. I don't know if TikTok's technically still emerging, but I know YouTube Shorts is just going to be launching their um, revenue share next year. And um, I'm curious, you know, if you see, because again, I feel like a big kind of conversation and focus for um, 2023 is around short form vertical video. I just keep hearing it from different people. And I'm curious if from your perspective, the revenue opportunity is really from direct sold campaigns that are on those pieces of content, or if there is kind of an opportunity to grow indirect revenue there and make it all the you know more worthwhile investing in that kind of content. Uh, so it's a great question. Uh, my approach definitely is to to as it relates to passive revenue and direct revenue to lean into predictability and. Save for an algorithm change here or there, dot com and um, and indirect programmatic revenue from a display and and pre roll basis has largely been a business that um, is stable that companies can build predictable revenue on top of um, and those companies that have significant dot coms are seeing less revenue fluctuations. Um, as far as platform rev sharing, it really is uh, a story of the cream rising to the top. So I don't think it's a sort of uh, sort of catch-all that might you know be that secondary revenue stream that's going to save publishers. It's really, if you have compelling content and it's driving views, uh, you'll get rev shares. Um, and if not, I don't think you can retrofit. That's what's happened over the last six years, seven years, the arms race around first. It was uh, how many likes do you need to have on Facebook? Then it was how many views. Um, and you see what Meta does, um, which is, you know, every year they're sort of tweaking and those those brands that try to retrofit the algorithm fail. So um, long winded way of saying display pre-roll programmatic Thumbs up. Uh, social revenue streams on, on the passive side, I think, will be few and far in between for only those publishers that are delivering the most differentiated, uh, the, the most sort of um, compelling. And so from that lens, branded content and distribution of that branded content is where social has the most value. So it's it's more of a direct play. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. In our last kind of few minutes here, I did want to ask about, um, we had Corey Hayek on the podcast at the beginning of 2020, 
too. Um, so about a year ago, um, and at the time she had told Tim, uh, my co-host, that the goal by 2024 was to have a third of revenue coming from ad-supported content, a third coming from commerce, and then a third coming from consumer revenue lines. Um, I'm curious, you know, outlook for 2023, theoretically a year before this goal is achieved, is that still kind of the prerogative at Vice Media? Absolutely. And let me say, uh, Corey is such a great partner and uh, we work really closely to make sure that the commercial and editorial businesses are fully aligned and in harmony. Uh, That said, um, the content commerce lines continue to blur. And so to say that we are marching towards that level of um, diversification for the publishing business is not a big leap. Um, We're seeing it in retail, one of our strongest categories, and by way of what people come to us for, in particular with Rec Room on Vice and and with Refinery as a whole, um, we're able to provide that utility and bridge the gap between inspiration and action. And so we're seeing tremendous growth on the affiliate side and pacing uh, towards that goal. As far as consumer revenue, ID is really at the forefront of that. Um, ID is super cool in the sense that the collaborations, it's not just about ID in the wild, even though uh, we happen to do incredibly well. And, um, and, I happen to own a uh, an ID hoodie that I bought from the store um, before it sold out. But ID also does collaborations with uh, amazing global uh, talent like Travis Scott, like Billie Eilish. And so from a consumer-facing lens, ID is at the forefront of, of product drops um, and really leading the charge for Vice Media Group in that sense. So um that aside vice overarchingly as a company is really unique because we have our studio business we have our um creative agency virtue we have our tv business and then we have our publishing business so um corey was definitely zeroing in on what we're talking about today the publishing business but separate from that um you know vice really really is special uh, you know, it, it provides a lot of um, credibility to go out and say, hey, you want to talk about purpose driven Vice News won 10 Emmys um, within the News and Doc Emmys, the um, more than any other news organization. And we reached the youngest audience. And so, you know, that sort of soundbite or studios saying, hey, we're we're on Hulu, we're on Showtime, we're on AMC. Um, or with Vice TV, um, you know, if you happen to be a wrestling fan um, or a, a nostalgia-motivated uh, person and saying, like, hey, you know The Dark Side? Um, that is the number one show on Vice. It provides not only diversification from a revenue lens, but diversification in the kinds of conversations that you can have. So Vice can go into a meeting with a partner and activate in an omni-channel fashion at scale, globally, through every potential form function you could think of. So I guess, again, kind of looking ahead into 2023, I am curious for the advertising side of 
the business specifically and you know what you're overseeing, what are the goals that you have set for this new year? Are you anticipating a growth year? Are you, you know, happy if it's, you know, even with 2022, um, what's the what's the outlook look like from a revenue perspective? I think generally speaking, we are going to continue to see growth from our high growth, less mature brands and focus on margin improvement and bottom line growth from our more mature brands. Um, and, you know, the, the just to sort of uh, play that back, Unbothered, ID, um, Vice News, on the all on existing on the publishing side are sort of those less mature high growth areas. Um, Refinery 29 and Vice are more mature. Um, and so uh, we'll focus on margin improvement, bottom line growth there. Um, so blended, we are going to be focused on growing meaningful high margin revenue in 23 uh, and uh, focus on uh, really providing uh, the same level of quality that you would get from a 30-minute documentary down into a 12-minute social video expression. Um, so when you sort of ladder that up, where will we be December 21st, 2023, I think we'll be incredibly well positioned to have a growth year, both uh, from a top line and bottom line perspective, um, to have made a uh, significant dent in the world relative to our franchises um, and, you know, ultimately uh, to continue to make good on the promise of, of Vice being the most uh, exciting place for reaching youth culture. And I obviously can't let you go without asking about the rumored sale of Vice Media Group and the, I guess, speculation of what could happen in that regard. Curious if you have anything you can uh, share around when that might be coming, if it is coming at all. Um, but I feel like that could possibly be the other big news of 2023 for you guys. What are your thoughts on that? Look, you know, as I said, um, according to the press, Vice has been on sale or for sale uh, for over 13 years. Um, I certainly am only focused on our core strategy, which is growing the company and diversifying and broadening, broadening the business. So uh, through that lens, like I said, uh, Vice is a really fun place to write about, to speculate about, and to cover. All right. Well, Sounds good. Um, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me on the podcast. It was great chatting with you. Thank you. Happy New Year, everyone. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode. Mm-hmm.